Open your Bibles, if you would please, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11. And it's our privilege once again to come to this 11th chapter and look at what I think is one of the Bible's most interesting characters. Uh, This man is John the Baptist, and he is a very important person playing an integral part in God's plan of redemption for the world. The Bible is full of stories of great men. I think about Abraham, who was called the father of the faithful. I think of Moses, who is called the lawgiver. Uh, David, who was the greatest, known as the greatest king of Israel. I think of that great Old Testament prophet Isaiah, who's quoted more often than any other prophet in the New Testament. And really, there are just a lot of great men and women that are spoken of in the pages of Scripture in the Old Testament. And these were people that trusted God, and we have the story of their lives in Scripture so that we might learn to live after them as they are examples for us. In Hebrews chapter 11, we have mentioned many uh, different heroes of the faith, and in chapter 12, we're told that they are witnesses of the faith. And of course, that again tells us that they are examples for us to live by. But there's one man who stands out among all of the uh, Old Testament characters, and his name is John. And you may wonder, well, how, how is it that you're telling me that John stands out in the Old Testament when he is actually read about in the New Testament? Well, even though we do read about John the Baptist in the New Testament, he's connected with the Old Testament because he is the last Old Testament prophet. Jesus called him the greatest man that ever lived. And he didn't say that about Abraham. He didn't say it about Moses or David or Isaiah. He said that of all people that have been born of women, there is not a greater than John the Baptist. Now, our text in in today's chapter, Matthew 11, tells us what Jesus thought of him. Now, if you'd stand, please, as we read God's Word, we're going to look at verses 11 through 15, or rather 7 through 15 today of Matthew chapter 11. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if ye will receive it, This is Elias, which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you, Lord, to open up what you'd have us to know today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. It's important for us to understand why John the Baptist is included in this part of the narrative of Matthew's gospel. Matthew is the gospel of the kingship of Christ, and 
It was his purpose as he wrote this to show us in every way that Jesus is the one who was promised by God to be the Savior of the world. And Matthew does this systematically. He begins in the first chapter and he tells us about the miraculous birth of Jesus. In the second chapter, he discusses how that wise men came to see Jesus and bowed before him and gave gifts to him and paid tribute to him. He speaks of the providence of God in protecting Jesus as a baby from the wicked king Herod. In the third chapter, we find that John the Baptist is introduced, and he's the one that inaugurated Jesus into his public ministry by baptizing him. In the fourth chapter, we see how that Jesus endured the temptations of Satan in the wilderness. In the fifth through the seventh chapters, Jesus is the great preacher, the great teacher, the great expositor of God's law. In the 8th and the ninth chapters, he's the miracle worker, he's the man of compassion, God who is able to heal people of their diseases and to cast out demons. He's the one who controls the elements of nature and is able to just speak the words and calm a tempestuous sea. And all of that is told to us so that we might recognize who Jesus is, especially to recognize that salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. He is God's Son, He is God Himself, and He's the one that God has given to bring us salvation. And yet for all of this proof that we find in those first chapters of Matthew, there were still some people that doubted who Jesus really was. Even the one that baptized Jesus. It said and said that he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Even this man had doubts that needed to be dispelled. Now, an important point to remember in this story as we think about John the Baptist and how we've discussed the doubts that he had is that one moment of doubt or one moment of weakness of your faith does not have to define your Christianity. That does not have to be the defining moment. Being an outstanding Christian does not mean that you're never going to have a moment of weakness. But being an outstanding Christian is when you recognize what that weakness is and you know where to go to get the answers for it, to get your questions settled and how you can overcome that witness, or weakness rather. And that's what John the Baptist did. The first six verses in this chapter are to tell us about his moment of doubt and how he sent word to Jesus in order to get his questions answered. Now, as we come to verse number 7, after Jesus had given proof, he turned to the people and he began in verse number 7 to explain about John, and he began with words of praise for him. This is what we talked about in the first part of the message last week, the praise that John the Baptist received from Jesus. Now, Jesus asked a series of rhetorical questions that helped the people to understand what a truly outstanding man that John was. And he says here in these verses, did you, did you come to see a reed that was shaken by the wind? Did you come to see a man that's blown around by public opinion and is only interested in how the political winds are blowing at the moment? Or did you come to see a prophet? Did you come to seek his baptism because he is a prophet? And the answers to those questions were calculated to show that John was tough that John stood up in adversity, that here is a man that does have convictions. This is a man that stood for God no matter what people thought. He's a man that preached repentance from sin, even if the person that needed to repent of his sins was the king. 
and had the power to throw him into jail. And so his opinions did not sway based upon what people thought. He believed God. He believed the word of God. He believed the mission that God had given him. And he spent his life trying to fulfill that mission no matter who stood against him. And Jesus praised him for that. He, he said he's an outstanding man. He is a model for our faith. And what Jesus did here was not to allow one weakness of faith to characterize John the Baptist. And so he said that here's the man that came to prepare people for the coming of the Lord, and John did what he was supposed to do. Now I want you to notice verses 9 and 10 again. Jesus asked, but what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written... Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Jesus said that John was more than a prophet. Now, that's an interesting statement. And we wonder, what did Jesus mean by this when he says John is a prophet, but he's more than a prophet? Well, this is where we want to take up the next part of the message today. And this is how Jesus speaks of the prominence of John. How that he is more than a prophet. How he's more prominent that he stands above all the others that have come before him. Jesus said there is none greater than John the Baptist. And of course that would cause us to think of those great men that I mentioned earlier. We would think about Abraham. How is John the Baptist greater than Abraham? How is he greater than Moses? What makes him greater than David and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel? John only had a brief two-year ministry. And so how in that time did he become greater than all of these other men in the Old Testament? Now, that's a good question. And it certainly would have been on the minds of the people that Jesus was talking to. They revered Abraham. I said he's the father of the faithful, and they regarded him as such. They revered Moses. He was a great prophet. He's the one that gave them the laws of God. How is it then that Jesus can turn to the people and say to them that John the Baptist is greater than those men? Why does Jesus say that? Well, let me give you three reasons today why, and they're all related to the understanding or the outstanding way that John accomplished the work that God gave him to do. Jesus said he is greater, but why does he say that he's greater? Well, he says he's greater, first of all, because of the announcement of the king. John was greater than all the other prophets because of the special privilege that he had of announcing the king. When Isaiah prophesied, the coming of Christ was still 700 years away. When uh, Jeremiah prophesied, his coming was still 600 years away. When Daniel prophesied, it was still 500 years away. And when you get down to the end of the Old Testament, to the very last book, when the prophet Malachi prophesied, Jesus was still 400 years away. Now, each of those men told about the king, but there's none of them that had the privilege of being there and actually seeing the king actually come. They were telling about distant events, but John the Baptist was the immediate prophet before the coming of the Lord, and he had the distinct privilege of saying, he's here, he's now here, and John fulfilled that responsibility well. Now, you think a moment about Isaiah. He wrote those great statements 
For instance, in the seventh chapter, when he said that a virgin would conceive. In the ninth chapter, he talked about a son that would be given. In the 53rd chapter, Isaiah wrote about a Savior who would come and give himself as an offering for sin. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Do you not think that Isaiah would have liked to have been the one to say after that, and he's here. Now he's here. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. Wouldn't Isaiah like to have been the one to say, here is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? Do you think Isaiah would have rejoiced to see Christ and then to announce right then that he had come? But John is the one that had that privilege. He was greater than all the other prophets because God chose him to announce the Christ. And what a blessed privilege that was. Imagine the excitement of after 400 years when God had not spoken to the people. 400 years of silence and along comes John and says, the Messiah is here. And what about 4,000 years of waiting? You can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 15, uh, Genesis 3:15 rather, and there in that verse it tells us in the Garden of Eden that there was a promise made that the Messiah would come, the Christ will come. So all of that time, for all of those years, the people kept saying, he's coming, and the prophet said, he's coming. For thousands of years they said, he is coming. But it was John the Baptist who was able to say, he is here. And that was really a great act of faith. Many said, he's not coming. Many said he was promised to come, but we've not seen him. And so it was a great act of faith for John to step out above all those other prophets and not to say, he's still coming, he'll get here someday, you just keep looking for him. But John the Baptist was able to say, he is here. And that faith of John the Baptist to believe after all of those years that Jesus had come, that was a great faith. And the choice of him to be the one to announce Christ made him the most prominent prophet. How else was John the Baptist greater than all the others that came before? Well, secondly, because of the acquisition of the kingdom. John is the greatest prophet because he was able to tell people right then how they could enter into the kingdom of God. Now, again, the other Old Testament prophets could only tell about a future kingdom. They weren't like John. They didn't get to announce the king, and they didn't get to tell people how that when the kingdom came, that they would actually be able to acquire that kingdom. A moment ago, I said 400 years had passed since God had last spoken to the people. And by that time, the religion of Israel was a mere formality. There was no heart in it. The people were just going through the motions of serving God. And Jesus said about them, they serve me with their lips but their heart is not in it. Their heart is far from me. And John recognized that problem. And he told them, something must change before you can enter God's kingdom. They could not go in with their cold, dead hearts. And the only way that they could get into God's kingdom was to come with confession of their sins, with repentance of their sin. They must turn from sin and serve the living God. The kingdom was right then upon them. And if they had any hope of going in, they must repent and turn to God. And folks, I want to remind you that that requirement is still the way that you get into God's kingdom. 
You can't hope to get into God's kingdom still holding on to your old way of life. You can't come to God with a cold, dead heart, with no intention of being radically different from what you were before. Only those that have changed hearts are able to enter into the kingdom of God. And you see, John is telling the people here that you must believe something different. You have to give up your self-righteousness. You have to admit that you're not worthy to enter into this kingdom. And so they had to throw themselves on the mercy of God and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's what the baptism of repentance is all about. John preached this, and he was a prominent prophet because the kingdom was there, the king was there, and the king was ready to receive in his kingdom all who would repent and believe in the Christ. So John was the first to come with this baptism of repentance, And that was different from the Jewish baptisms. This was a Christian baptism. Now, I want you to understand that John did not preach that sins could be forgiven in baptism. But what he preached was that you must repent and then give evidence of your faith. And then you can be baptized. And that hasn't changed. We still preach the same baptism. We baptize only repentant believers. We don't baptize anyone else. Then thirdly, John is the most prominent prophet because of all attention that went to Christ. John was not just a prophet. He was the subject of prophecy. He was the one that was told would be sent to prepare the way for the Christ. Jesus says that in verse 10. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. So Jesus said, here is that one that the prophets wrote about. This is the messenger that is to be sent before the Messiah. His purpose is to prepare the people, to prepare the way for the coming of Christ. So John is the only prophet who is both a prophet and the subject of prophecy. He was more than a prophet because it was foretold that he would announce the coming of the Christ, and then what John did was step humbly out of the way. Now, there's more to think about in that, isn't there? John knew what God had called him to do. John knew that he was the subject of prophecy. I mean, he read the scriptures. He knew them. The prophet said, a messenger will prepare the way of the Lord. And John read that scripture, and he knew it so well that those passages of those great prophets referred to him. And so he could have said, hey, I'm here now. I'm John the Baptist. I'm the, I'm the prophet that said would come. I'm the one who's the messenger to prepare the way of the Lord. Look at me. See who I am. Well, how many people would be willing to step aside after reading and realizing that the Old Testament prophets are speaking about you? You know, there's some preachers in these big ministries that trumpet their names for a whole lot less than that. Do you think that John the Baptist would have had a billboard and a PR person and say, come and hear the dynamic preaching of the one who will announce the Messiah? And he have his own web page and brochures and his picture on those and an iPhone app. And there would be the picture of John the Baptist, that scraggly old prophet with long hair and a big smile and grasshopper legs between his teeth. John was a great prophet because he announced the Christ. And you know what he did? He got out of the way. He said, this is not about me. It's not about me. It's about the one who's coming. It's about the Christ. It's about the Messiah. All attention goes to him. And what John did was to move out of the spotlight 
so that all attention could be placed upon Jesus Christ. Today I'm standing here under spotlights, but I don't want the spotlights. I want you to hear the message about Jesus Christ. I don't want you to think it's about me. I don't want you to think it's about who I am. I want you to think about Jesus Christ because the purpose of what we do in this place is to tell people about him. The light must shine on Jesus. And that's what John the Baptist did. He didn't claim him what he was able to do. or what he, he just said, you need to put your attention on Christ. So John the Baptist was a great prophet because he announced the Christ and he got out of the way. He moved aside. And folks, that humility made him great. Some thought that John was the Messiah. And he could have taken credit if he wanted to. He could have said, yes, I am. And he would have been the talk of the town more than he even was. But John didn't do that. He moved out of the way. He came to announce the Christ, and he stepped aside. And so Jesus said about him, he's not just a prophet. He's more than a prophet. He was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, and he had a special gift that came from God. It's a gift of humility. So Jesus said about him, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater prophet are greater than John the Baptist. Now, you see that in verse number 11? Look at verse number 11 again. There hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. But notice that that does not end with a period. After that, there is a colon, and the next statement seems totally surprising. The sentence goes on, and the next is surprising to us. Now, thirdly, I want you to notice today the privilege of New Testament believers Jesus said, notwithstanding, after all this he said about John the Baptist, the greatness of him, greater than any person that's ever been born, notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That is a puzzling statement. Jesus says some mighty strange things. Jesus had gone to all this trouble to laud the preaching and the courage and the humility of John the Baptist. He says there's no prophet greater than him. He built John back up after that uncharacteristic moment of doubt. He reestablished the place of John the Baptist, the esteem in the people's eyes. But then he says next, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Jesus says some really strange things. John doubted, and Jesus dismissed that doubt as a brief aberration, and he applauded John. He says he's the most prominent prophet. He's the greatest of all. But then he says, in the kingdom of God, there are people that are greater than John. Well, how could that be? How could he say on one hand he's the greatest, but there are people in the kingdom of God that are greater than him? Well, folks, it must indicate to us that there's a change of positions in God's kingdom. Something must have come in the New Testament that the Old Testament prophets were not a part of. Something is different. And what was about to take place was about to take place in the hearts of some of those people that were listening, and they were going to be a part of this change. His disciples were a part of the change. Now, do you know what this is? Well, it's the difference in the closeness that we have to Jesus in a very special way. And it's indicated by the fact that John was right then in prison. He was away from Christ. He wasn't able to see the miracles. He didn't witness the ministry of Christ. In chapter 14, we find there that he was beheaded while he was still in the prison. 
And the difference is the closeness to Christ that was not experienced by Old Testament prophets. And to say that in a different way, it's the privilege of being a part of Christ's church. The church is the great mystery of the Old Testament. They didn't see it. They didn't understand it. They didn't know how that would be a part of the Messiah's kingdom. So what is it that's different now for us in God's kingdom as opposed to what they had in the Old Testament? What do we have that's greater than what John had? Well, first of all, we possess the promises of Christ. John and the other Old Testament prophets lived at a time when the promises of the kingdom were still in the future. The Messiah had not yet come. Redemption hadn't been made. The sacrifice of animals was still continuing and would go on until the, right up until the time that Jesus was nailed to the cross and died for sin. John announced the Messiah, but he was not a part of the ministry of Christ. He wouldn't live long enough to see Jesus die for sin. He didn't live long enough to witness the resurrection. He didn't live to read what was written by the apostles in those books of the New Testament, the epistles that explain the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we also know that John did not understand about the second coming of Christ. You remember that? That John was confused about the first advent versus the second advent? That's why he wondered, why hadn't Jesus already put all of the kingdom promises into place? Why hadn't he already overcome all of his enemies? Why hadn't he brought vengeance upon the world? And particularly, why hadn't John been delivered? The Messiah has the power to do this. If he is the Messiah, he can bring me out of this place. Why hasn't that been done? Well, John lived at a time when the promises of the Messiah had not yet been fulfilled. Friends, it's different for us. We're living in the time of fulfillment. We know about the cross. We know about the tomb. We know about the resurrection. We know about the second coming. And we have expectations about it that left John in confusion. We don't have the confusion that John had. We know about God's church. And we know that we've all become ministers of Jesus Christ because of our faith in him. And we're able to tell people about Christ with more precision than John the Baptist was able to do. John didn't have the completed scriptures. Now, he did know the Old Testament very well. But how much better do you think it would have been for him if he understood things and had the book of Revelation? What if he could see what the apostle John saw? What if he could see not only the Lamb of God that had come, but he also saw the Lamb slain and the King triumphant? What if he was able to see everything the apostle John saw? So the least in the kingdom of God who knows about Christ's death for sin and about his rising to defeat sin, coming out of the grave to defeat sin, death, and hell forever, that person is greater than John in that respect. And then we can add more to the benefits that John didn't have. We possess the presence of Christ. John did not have the presence of Christ. He was locked away in the dungeon. And since Jesus was in human form, Jesus could only be present in one location at one time. So he wasn't there where John was. John wasn't able to see Jesus, and that's part of the problem, isn't it? It added to the doubt. He just couldn't see what Jesus was doing. 
Do you know that there are some people that believe that their faith would be so much greater if they could just see Jesus? If they could see Jesus in the flesh, wouldn't it be so much better if we were living in the time of Christ and we could see where he walked and how he talked and what he did? Wouldn't that make our faith so much greater? But what about all the people that did see him and the thousands and thousands that were healed by him and all the great miracles that were done? People still didn't believe in him. Is it better for us to have Christ as we have him now or to be able to have him in the flesh so that we can see him, which is best for us? Well, let's turn to the pages of Matthew here again in the 16th chapter and verse number 21. Matthew 16, verse number 21. And here we see where Jesus began to teach the disciples very clearly about his death. In verse number 21, it says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Now Peter Peter's protest was because he did not want to lose that human contact that he had with Jesus. Later, Peter said that if Jesus was going to die, that he wanted to die too. He couldn't bear to live without him. Thomas had those same thoughts. The disciples warned Jesus about going to Jerusalem. They said, they're there, they're going to try to kill you. That's what they're planning to do. But Jesus was determined to go. And so Thomas suggested that all of the apostles should go with him and that all should die with him. And that's because they wanted to go where Jesus was and be with him at all times, even if that meant dying with him. And then we come to the upper room discourse. This was the last meeting that Jesus had with his disciples. And they still didn't like the idea of Jesus dying. They would lose the physical contact if he died. Jesus took note of that, and he said in John 16, verse 6, But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. In the 14th chapter, he said, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for what? He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So here is something that John the Baptist and the Old Testament prophets never saw. They never saw the day of Pentecost. They didn't see the Holy Spirit come and take up a permanent dwelling place in the hearts of God's people. And so the disciples were not separated from Jesus at all. They had his presence with them at all times and in every place. And do you see how that's greater than John the Baptist? Sitting in that prison cell, he didn't have the physical presence of Jesus, and neither did he have the indwelling presence of Jesus. Those that are least in the kingdom of God today still have Jesus living in their hearts. He's there wherever they go. His comfort is there. His strength is there. His compassion is there. Whenever we're in doubt, the Holy Spirit lives in us. That spirit of Christ is in us internally to let us know that God will never leave us or forsake us. 
John wasn't that sure. John didn't have that kind of faith to know that. He was puzzled about this dungeon experience that he was going through. He was wondering, has God deserted me? After all that I've done, after I've been so faithful, has God left me? And so to find that out, John sent his disciples to come to the desert around the Dead Sea, to come to the prison where he was so he could give them a message to give to Jesus. And he told those disciples of his, go ask him, are you the one? Are you the one truly who is to come? Are you the Christ? And then those disciples had to leave there, go find Jesus, ask the question, get the answer, come back to where John was and give it to him. I don't know how long that took, but I know that John had to wait a good while before he received his answer. Now, do you know what's so great about how we live today, knowing Jesus Christ? We don't have to wait. I don't have to wait to find out about Christ. If Christ is in your heart, you have the answers to all of your questions, to your fears, to your doubts, to all the things that are going wrong. You have the answers to all of that with a speed of thought. And that's because Christ is living in you. Is it better to see him face to face and have a physical presence? No, friends. It's far better for you today to have Jesus Christ in your heart living with you all of the time. It's far greater than John the Baptist. And so I would tell you that you can be an outstanding Baptist also because you've been given more tools to work with than John. You've been given more than John has. Now, folks, that puts responsibility on you. You have more than even John the Baptist had because you have the presence of Christ within you. Now, let's lead that on into this next point or take this into this next point. Number four is the preaching of the gospel. The preaching of the gospel. And from the days, verse number 12, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if ye will receive it, this is Elias which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now John the Baptist was an outstanding Baptist because in this announcement of the Messiah, in just a very short time, that caused an explosion in the kingdom of God. John is the last prophet before Christ. Each one kept leading up and leading up and leading up until it culminated in John's message who said, he said, now he is here. And from that point, it was only a few years before the gospel exploded and the pieces of it fell everywhere in the known world. The apostle Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the power of God. That's the same thing as saying it is the dynamite of God. The word there for power is the same word from which we get dynamite. It's the message of gospel that brings people into the kingdom and expands the kingdom wherever it's preached. The gospel was able to transform the cold, dead, religious formalism of the Jews. For those that would repent and believe in Jesus Christ, it gave them new life, it gave them new hope, and left that old religious system in rubble. Now, we notice here at verse number 12, this is a, a difficult verse, and there are two ways that it can be taken. And I want to briefly give you both views, and both of theirs truth. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent 
take it by force. And interpreters take that in one of two ways. First, some say that this is talking about the sinful attack against the kingdom. Wherever the gospel is preached, there's opposition. Satan does not lie down and let people run over him with the gospel of Christ without raising a fuss, without putting up a fight. He is the great adversary. He is relentless in his attempts to shut down the advance of God's kingdom. And we see that Satan didn't stand by for very long when John the Baptist was preaching. He didn't let him preach with no interference. Instead, John worked on Herod and caused Herod to take him and throw him into the prison and then finally to behead him. Jesus suffered opposition. His opposition was heating up. There were numerous plots by the scribes and the Pharisees to put him to death. And then the disciples were in for persecution after the death of Christ. And that same opposition to God's word, to God's principles, to the gospel of Christ has been going on ever since. The violent try to stop the gospel in any way that they can. Now in America, there is a an attempt to stop the gospel of Christ. They, they can't kill us because that's against the law. We have freedom of religion, so they try to do it in another way. They attempt to legalize every sin imaginable, and then they label anyone who stands against sin as being intolerant. And so they're able, they, in that way, to stop the advance of God's kingdom. So that's one meaning of the statement. They, there's an attack against the gospel of Christ. Now, the other meaning looks at this a little bit differently, and this is also truth, that the verse refers to the righteous advance of the kingdom. Now, these are people that take verse number 12 to mean that the kingdom of God is advancing and that God's people are vigorously pressing into it. William Hendrickson wrote insightfully on this. He said, what Jesus here emphasizes is that one cannot sleep his way into the kingdom. On the contrary, entrance into the kingdom requires earnest endeavor, untiring energy, utmost exertion. It takes vigorous men, men who are eager to fight and to conquer, to overcome Satan, and thus to take possession of the kingdom, of all the blessings of salvation. Now you think about that. Does that sound like you? This is what an outstanding Baptist does. He doesn't let anything stand in his way. Scripture says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God has the power to help you to overcome all enemies of the gospel. But it takes someone to use that power, doesn't it? Somebody has to use the power. An unlit stick of dynamite does not make a very loud explosion. A, a, a tank that's out of gas doesn't go very far. And I'm afraid that's where many Christian people are today. They're just running on the fumes. They don't have their fuse lit. They don't amount to very much at all, not even more than a wet firecracker for God. Now, what we need to do is to take our cue from John. He was always moving forward. He was always preaching. He was always holding up the standard of righteousness. John was determined to take the hill. And John, or Jesus says here, that we are not going to claim anything for him unless we're in the middle of that fight. We've got to keep pressing on. We have got to take up the cross of Jesus Christ and follow him. Now you notice verse number 14. And if ye will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. So Jesus said, if you would just believe, John, 
If you believe everything that he said concerning me, then he is Elijah to you. The prophet said that Elijah would come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And so if they would believe, then John the Baptist would be this Elijah. Israel would be saved. The kingdom of God then would not only be in hearts, but also on the earth. But they didn't believe him. And they beheaded him. And Jesus was crucified. But the kingdom of God is still coming. It's been delayed, but it's still coming. The song says the kingdom is coming. Oh, tell you the story. God's banner exalted shall be. The earth shall be full of his knowledge and glory as waters that cover the sea. Jesus said, he that has an ear, let him hear. Listen to the message of salvation. This is what he says. The kingdom is God's reward for repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And people will not come to Christ. And the kingdom of God will not advance if God's people are sleeping. If we're sitting here doing nothing then we need not expect that God's kingdom will grow in this world. An outstanding Baptist is one who is awake. He lets the world know that Jesus has come. And when Jesus came the first time, he came to die for sins on the cross, and he took away the sins of the world. The second time that he comes, the Bible says that he's going to appear here without a sin offering. He's coming to judge the world with vengeance. And so the message of Scripture is that we had best be in the kingdom now. Be in the kingdom now by repentance from your sin and faith in Jesus Christ and then join in the fight as an outstanding Baptist. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. You must believe and you must respond to the call of God's gospel for his kingdom. So take your place, folks. Take your place as an outstanding Baptist. Wake up and do something for God. That's the message that we have here. You are greater than John the Baptist in this respect. You have all of these things that John didn't have. And you, I'm not a betting man, but I'll tell you this. If you want to place your bets on something, bet on this. God expects more from you than he even did from the Old Testament prophets. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time we spend in your word. And we, Lord, help us to see the great responsibility that you've given us. You've given us so much more than the people in the Bible times had to see, so much more than the Old Testament prophets were able to see. And we're so thankful that we have the presence of Jesus Christ living in our hearts right now by faith. And so, Lord, I ask that you would work in the hearts of your people to stir us up, cause us that... We would want to see other people saved. Cause us to give the gospel to others so they may hear and have life in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to someone today. Speak to some lost person. Help them to understand that that salvation is only found in Jesus. And then for Christians today, that we would be ready to make a defense of our faith and ready to give people the gospel. Speak to us today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's